Hello and welcome to uh, this Argus podcast where we'll be talking about uh, some of the debate around the intervention in market pricing in the gas and power markets. I'm Matt Drinkwater. I'm the uh, manager for uh, gas and power analysis here at Argus and I'm joined by my colleagues uh, Natasha Fielding who edits the European Natural Gas Report and Justin Colley who edits the European Electricity Report. So we're in an environment where we've seen incredibly high prices which have stoked inflation across Europe and created a huge amount of pressure on politicians to uh, intervene in various ways to try and shield their citizens, their voters, their electorate from the worst of these high prices. Scale of the issue and the scale of the price rises that we've seen is unprecedented. And so in such an urgent situation, they've been reaching for for increasingly radical ideas. And as well as uh, subsidies uh, directly for, uh, for, for end users, there's also been a lot of discussion about capping uh, the price of gas and power in the wholesale market, which has been gathering pace since the Commission issued some proposals on this topic at the beginning of October, although the ideas go back even further than then. So this is where we are. This policy debate is churning along in Brussels and, uh, and and elsewhere. But what's changed since these ideas were were first put forward? Natasha, what's your perspective on this? Well, so since the European Commission uh, circulated its latest uh, proposals in early October, European gas prices have fallen quite dramatically. They're now well below their uh, record-breaking highs over the past summer, though contracts delivering um, in the winter are um, still historically high and, and still too high for um, a lot of industry. The reason uh, for the fall in in gas prices is largely um, a very mild start to the winter, which has really delayed the onset of heating demand and allowed uh, companies to um, fill up uh, their their underground uh, gas storage capacity. Um, Underground gas storage sites are now really um, uh, brimming um, and we, um, we're we already well into the, the second week of November and there hasn't been a proper start to the winter yet. But having said that, it would be foolish to assume now that the situation has uh, stabilised And this uh, dramatic fall in gas prices is uh, symptomatic of the very high uh, market volatility. We could definitely still see price spikes this winter, um, particularly if Europe gets into a bidding war with uh, Northeast Asia for LNG cargoes, um, which could happen if uh, it gets cold across the Northern Hemisphere. So it's... uh... Still a very uh, febrile situation, it seems, in 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 the gas markets. Uh, and Justin, on power, uh, is it is it similar? Hi, thanks, Matt. 
Uh, yeah, the power market is very much at mercy of what's happening in the gas market, um, especially now where uh, pretty much all the prices are being set by gas fire generation across Europe almost all the time. So if gas prices fall, then power prices fall. So we've seen very much the same trend and for the same reasons. It's been an unusually mild start to the winter, which we've been lucky with so far. So countries like France, where they're traditionally very reliant on electric heating, they've not had to step up the supply as much as uh, they they may need to further in winter. So yeah, uh, power prices have fallen pretty much in fact halved over the last couple of weeks looking at the short term forward market. But yeah, there's absolutely no illusion that this is going to be a uh, medium or long term trend or the forward prices are still higher than they've ever been if you look back at relative years. So yeah, I mean, even at the end of October, we saw quite a strange phenomenon where gas fire generation had, became, had become more competitive than coal, which looking at forward sparks and dark spreads, so the economics of running gas or coal-fired plants, coal is weighing the money ahead of gas uh, going quite far out. But um, as Natasha said, there's loads of gas in storage at the moment. It's been mild, so power prices have, uh, have in the short term uh, fallen quite, quite a lot. Okay, so there's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of price risk still in the market and prices are still high in historical terms and they could go higher still if uh, or when even the cold weather uh, eventually arrives. So that really raises the question uh, in terms of when winter really bites, you know, this political pressure to do something about prices uh, could well come back in earnest. So what are some of the proposals that are being floated around uh, about intervening in the power market? As you said, there's sort of more formal proposals came out around October. The intervention uh, looks like it's being pressured to come in on the wholesale side of the element uh, of the market. So I think everybody accepts that there needs to be something done in the market because industrial production processes, large companies are shutting down production because they can't afford the costs of power and gas. So something needs to be done. But a lot of the proposals that are floating around are very fragmented and they're causing quite a damaging environment in the market and especially the way it's perceived by investors and by traders. So just to sort of loosely outline what's happening, the, the EU is looking at um, some level of a, a cap in the wholesale market, which would be put on inframarginal power generators, so not the ones that are setting the price, and you would effectively share the difference between that cap and the market price among the downstream side of the market. Um, now, the added complication of this is that there is um, uh, the potential of this being fragmented across Europe because different European countries uh, have the freedom to implement this at a way that they see fit. So the proposed EU-wide cap is 100 uh, and 180 euros per megawatt hour, <clears throat> but there is potential for member states to implement this at a lower level. Uh, and also, which is even more concerning, is the fact that this can be implemented on a retroactive basis. So Belgium and Germany, for example, are considering putting in place retroactive price caps, which for a fully liberalized market such as electricity sets a really dangerous tone for investors going forward. Um, and you know, this is one of the things that we're looking at is how do we get ourselves out of this situation, which is to encourage investment in new technologies, in particular renewables. If you start tinkering with the wholesale market, in particular on a retroactive basis, people don't want to invest in the market because they don't know that the conditions that they're investing in now are going to persist going forward. So yeah, just to sort of summarize, there are a lot of proposals going around. As these new non-papers come out, they tend to sort of twist and turn with what's being proposed up until now. Um, but in short, it, it could get messy uh, in the way that it's going to be implemented uh, when that comes to um, comes into force uh, potentially at the end of Q1 next year.
All right, thanks, Justin. And this, uh, these non-papers, these EU discussion papers that are that are circulating, obviously, because as you mentioned, uh, a lot of what's happening with uh, with the power prices is being driven by the gas prices. Uh, Natasha, how are they looking at intervening in 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 the gas market potentially? The the most controversial idea that the EU is uh, considering um, on the gas side is a generalized cap on wholesale gas prices. Quite apart from the dangers of distorting price signals in that way, um, which we could come on to later, the the, the challenge of um, implementing a, a price cap like that effectively is huge. So the the, the latest idea from the EU is um, it involves only a cap um, on on forward trades on um, exchanges. Um, not on the over-the-counter market. Um, if that were to be implemented, we could assume that liquidity would then move into the over-the-counter market instead. Um, and that itself would come with uh, greater risks. Uh, in fact, um, a lot of um, liquidity shifted to exchanges from the OTC markets um, after gas prices began to surge because of the elevated counterparty risk. So that price cap, apart from being potentially very uh, a, a dangerous precedent to set for the wholesale gas markets, it's very difficult to see it actually being implemented fully. So effectively, it could just shift the risk off the exchanges and into all of these bilateral agreements uh, between uh, between the, the firms that are active in the market and presumably also push the risk onto the banks that are funding uh, their credit lines. So it doesn't solve the, the problem of high prices. It just moves the, 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 the risk around. Justin, with uh, something you wanted to chime in on? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the shift from exchanges into the OTC market, which is uh, a potential um, fallout from this mechanism, is one in power that is particularly difficult to implement because the way the markets have developed now is that you have the market coupling algorithm where you have the cost of electricity and the cost of cross-border capacity traded on an exchange, an organised trading platform, and that allows you effectively to allocate um, power across a region for the best uh, welfare benefits right you're always using the cheapest power possible to supply that marginal megawatt hour of electricity if you take away um if you're capping trade so significantly on the exchange but not in the otc market then market coupling doesn't work and so these benefits of you know uh social welfare benefits of distributing power uh in the most even way across the region it ceases to exist anymore which sort of goes against what the eu's been pushing for the past uh eight or ten years right and uh going back to what you were saying natasha i mean this kind of interlinkage between the markets that's a key part of how the wholesale market functions to signal where demand is greater where you know gas is needed where power is needed uh what kind of impact would uh, a wholesale price cap have on regional gas trade in Europe? Well, there are many potentially um, concerning implications of a, of a, of a price cap. Uh, one of them is that you know, if you cap um, gas prices throughout Europe, then um, you are removing those um, price differentials between European 
gas markets. So, for, for example, um, prices in uh, Germany's uh, gas hub have been uh, significantly higher than um, surrounding um, countries and um, particularly um, Spain. Um, you know, the reason for this is that Spain has ample access to um, LNG and, and, and Germany um, as yet doesn't have um, direct access to LNG. Um, it also had um, a significant amount of storage to refill in the summer. Those price differences meant um, that Germany sucked in as much uh, gas, um, pipeline gas from neighboring countries as it possibly could. If you suddenly uh, destroy those uh, price differences, then um, there's no longer an incentive to send the gas where it is needed. And of course, the same thing's also been happening in the global LNG market in terms of very high prices in Europe been attracting a lot of LNG into Europe, which which has been helping with uh, refilling storage uh, through the summer. I was wondering, Natasha, if, if you could help me. What's this idea of an LNG benchmark, a uh, new LNG benchmark the Commission's been talking about? What's what's that idea about? Something that is a bit uh, puzzling to the, to the market at wide, actually, is that the EU has this idea of basically manufacturing a new uh, benchmark, which would, um, which it hopes would be a representative price um, of LNG delivered into Europe. Um, I can certainly see why, what they're trying to do, and and why they're trying to do it. Um, you know, the the aim is is to bring down. Um, very high uh, gas prices, um, but the, the challenges of generating a new benchmark and um, uh, building up uh, trust in market participants in that benchmark, the, the difficulty of, of implementing that can't really be emphasized too much. And also the, the, the EU wants this to be a, a complementary um, benchmark, um, so they're not trying to force market participants to um, move to a different price reference. And it's it's very hard to see why uh, market participants would, in fact, um, decide to turn to this new price. Okay. So it's the uh, Wayne's World School of Benchmarks. If, if they build it, they will come. I suppose that's the logic. But uh, okay, to, to wrap up here. So, you know, at the time uh, that we're having this conversation, the winter, as we mentioned, hasn't really begun in earnest in, in Europe. But, you know, the legislative process in Brussels is is relatively slow. By the time that any of these proposals actually came to fruition, it would likely be uh, the spring of uh, of next year. So how, how do you think the landscape could look then? Um, and what do you think uh, the implications would be for this policy discussion and, and longer term for the market? I mean, Justin, if, if you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, what you said is exactly true, right? We're, we've not got into the the toughest time yet. It's been super mild. Prices have fallen. We're not in winter. So, um, and certainly it doesn't look like any of these uh, proposed measures are going to be implemented by the end of the year. There are so many other things going on at the moment. Obviously, COP uh, now is uh, taking the forefront of discussion. So, um, it kind of depends what happens in the winter. So many countries in Europe are putting in place potential 
quite severe measures, which would be very disruptive to how the market has um, traditionally operated because everybody's worried about security of supply, right? Everybody has been scrambling around for the past couple of months to see what they can keep online or bring back online um, to make sure that we have enough uh, power, enough energy in the continent, um, especially trying to move away from gas. So depending on how bad things get, we had a pretty bad drought in summer. So um, if the hydro supply really dries up in winter, if we have problems with the French nukes, then hopefully this won't happen. But if countries start cutting exports, then you really destroy a European uh, market sentiment. And so if that happens in winter, then who knows how uh, we approach markets on a European uh, on a European basis coming out of that. Um, but, you know, as you said, the, the gas storages are pretty full. We've got more nuclear plants coming online, uh, all the coal, all the lignite, doing whatever we can really to to ensure that there will be enough uh, security of supply. So, yeah, maybe maybe by springtime um, the market will have resolved itself and these increasingly complex measures that are looking to be put in place um, will, will, will be pushed back even further. Um, but, you know, I could um, be completely wrong. <laughs> And, and Natasha, in the gas markets, what are your thoughts? Um, in the gas markets as well, there are some quite extreme possibilities for the end of the winter. Um, if uh, the, 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 the whole winter stays pretty mild, if um, supply from LNG and, and, and pipeline uh, suppliers, you know, excluding Russia, if that stays plentiful, then um, gas storage sites could actually be pretty full even at the end of the winter. Um, if, if you look at uh, forward prices um, in Europe at the moment, there actually isn't much of an incentive for companies to um, withdraw from storage. Um, there's there's actually an incentive to, to keep that gas in the ground um, for next winter when it could be potentially um, a, a tighter situation. So at one end of the scale, we could have um, not much gas actually being withdrawn from storage this winter. On the other end of the scale, if um, if it gets very cold this winter, um, and if there are unplanned um, supply disruptions, which can happen, of course, uh, from time to time, then um, potentially companies will have to basically empty their storage facilities. And then the job of filling storage next summer will be extremely challenging indeed. In fact, more so than it was this summer, as we can potentially expect very little uh, Russian gas coming into Europe um, throughout next summer. Um, and these questions, these kind of potential extremes, you know, as, as, as Justin outlined, could have um, big implications, not just for, you know, the next year or two, but also for many years to come, because it could really impact um, EU lawmakers' decisions on um, these regulatory interventions. Of course, the, the, we have this very uh, difficult uh, and very hard to navigate fundamental situation. And of course, for any traders who are involved, um, all of this debate about what might happen with price interventions is just an additional uncertainty, an additional headache uh, for them to try and grapple with uh, on top of all of these uh, these unknowables on the on the fundamental side. So a lot to uh, a lot of moving parts to try and keep track of, it seems. I think we're drawing to the end now of of, uh, of our podcast. Um, thank you all very, very much for for listening. Um, I was joined by my colleague Natasha Fielding, uh, European Natural Gas Editor, Justin Colley, the European Electricity Editor, and I'm uh, Matt Drinkwater. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.